Check, test, test. That's a little much, a little much, a little. Check, check, test, test, check, check, test, test. Anybody? Anybody hear me? Anybody? Check one, check two. Testing. Flight four and four and four five is boarding at gate now. You've never been to an airport. Not one of you. All right. Um, okay. Everybody got a book. Everybody got a pen. Most importantly, does everybody have a Bible? You need to have a Bible. You need to have a Bible. Anytime I stand up here, you're going to need the Bible because that's what we're going to be doing. Okay? Appreciate Hondo just coming up here and being like, you're going to need the Bible. Okay? That's exactly right. Now, some of you guys don't know me. My name is Joshua, and I'm one of the pastors at Countryside Bible where Pastor Dusty used to be a pastor, okay, a long time ago, and that's still a little bit much, sorry Matt, that's me being loud and excited, um, but I've known some of you for a long time, like Matthew, I've known Matthew long enough that like he used to give me rides before I could drive, okay, and he had this awful little geo, but w- I, it was really great, it was a really nice little little geo that he would give me rides in, and I appreciate that. I've known Kevin since he was younger than y'all, probably, because you were translating for us when you were in, like, third grade, which was probably not a good idea at the time, but here we are, you know? So, no, this is, uh, this is a lot of fun for me to get to come and hang out with you guys, but most importantly, more than any of that and all my friendships and stuff, is I am William and Kate's uncle, because I am Mr. Ben's little brother. So, if y'all want to know anything awful about William and Kate, y'all just let me know, and... <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you any of it because I love them so much, okay? All right, but here's the deal. All right, you guys ready? So we're going to start our lesson for, uh, for the weekend. And this weekend, we're going to be talking about relationships, relationships 101, all right? So this is what you need to know about relationships. So the first thing we need to decide is what's a relationship? Somebody hit me. What do you think a relationship is? A way you interact with somebody else, that's pretty good, I like that. A bond between people, yeah, that's actually perfect. Between those two, that's pretty much the whole answer, okay? So, some kind of an association or a connection that you have with somebody else that influences how you interact with them, okay? Now, here's the deal. Is there any two relationships in your life that are exactly the same? No, they're all different, right? Because there's two different people on the other end of them, right? So you talk to your friends differently than you talk to your mom, differently than you talk to me, right? Because if every time you said goodbye to your friends, you were like, I love you, Mommy, then they would think that was weird and they would make fun of you because they should, because that's weird. So don't say love you, Mommy, to your friends, right? But you should say that to your mom, and you shouldn't say that to me either because I'm not your Mommy, okay? And by the way, none of these leaders are your Mommy, and they're not going to pick up after you, so pick up after yourself, Okay? But all your relationships are different, so you need to make sure that you're relating to other people appropriately so that each relationship you're doing as well as you can, right? Okay? So now this weekend, we're going to talk about three kinds of relationships, okay? The first one, we're going to talk about your relationship with God. Tonight, we're going to talk about your relationship with your mom and dad. And then tomorrow, we're going to talk about your relationship with your friends, which actually, biblically, is everybody else, okay? Everybody else. So what we're going to talk about, uh, maybe this will help. Think of a really big tree, like one of those big, awesome, huge trees, okay? What is actually the most important part of that tree? The thing you don't see. It's the roots. It's the inside part, right? Okay? So when we're talking about your relationship with God, this is the most important relationship you have in your life, for good or for bad. 
this is the most important relationship in your life, it's the roots, it's the foundation, it's what's keeping everything else going, okay? When we get to tonight, when we talk about your relationship with your parents, your family, that's the trunk of the tree, okay? That's the structure, that's the, the real meat of it that gives you a good thing to work with. And then we're going to talk about tomorrow, your relationship with your friends. Well, that's those branches coming off the top. That's where you actually go out and you interact with all kinds of other things and other people and you bear fruit out in the world. And you're actually a decent member of society, okay? That's what we're going for. So today, this morning, the foundation, the roots of the tree, we're going to talk about your relationship with God. So here's your theme, all right? We're going to put the theme up. I want you guys to write this down in your notebooks. This is your theme for our lesson, okay? God is your sovereign creator. And he calls you to repent and trust in him. God is your sovereign creator and calls you to repent and trust in him. Everybody write that down. That's going to be a key for what we're learning this morning, okay? God is your sovereign creator and he calls you to repent and trust in him. Now, once you're done writing that down, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 17. All right? Acts chapter 17. That's where we're going to be for our, our lesson this morning. We're going to work through this passage that the Apostle Paul is going to preach for them. All right? Last call, God is your sovereign creator, and he calls you to repent and trust in him. All right? Now, get your Bible. Everybody open your Bible up and turn to Acts chapter 17. Now, does anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Ladies? Or somebody not in the front row? Brandon? Yep. Luke. All right, Luke wrote the book of Acts. All right, now here's another question. Who are the two apostles of Christ that are the main characters in the book of Acts? Ooh, this is more fun. Anybody? Paul's one. Okay. Nope, not Silas. I mean, he's important, but he's not like the guy. Peter, okay? But we're in Acts chapter 17. So Peter is in the first 10 chapters or 12 chapters. Now we're talking about the Apostle Paul, who's 13 through the end of the book. Okay, so chapter 17, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul. So Luke is writing this story down about what the Apostle Paul did. All right, so in Acts chapter 17, we're going to be studying verses 22 through the end. But it tells us in verse 16 that Paul had to go to Athens because people were not angry, because people were not happy with him because he was preaching the gospel. So they send Paul over to Athens, but he doesn't bring his friends with him yet. So now he's hanging out in Athens waiting for his friends to come get him. Kind of like after youth group when you're waiting there for your mom to come get you, and she never comes because she got stuck at a store or something, or just on the phone and she just couldn't care about you anymore. I'm just kidding. She loves you, and she's coming as fast as she can. So Paul is just waiting. He's waiting for his friends to come to join him in Athens. But while he's there, he's kind of wandering around, and he's looking at stuff. And he notices something that really bugs him. He notices an altar to an unknown God. So we're going to answer three questions with our sermon today. Okay, three questions about God. And we're just going to go and put them up here so you can see them. And then we're going to start working through them. Okay, the first question is, can you know God? This is what Paul's going to answer with his sermon when he's preaching to these people. Can you know God? Because they're talking about an unknown God. He's like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. You can actually know who God is. All right, number two, we're going to go ahead and put up, what is God like? And then his, the rest of his sermon, he's going to talk about, what is this God? Who is he? What has he done? What is he like? And how do you relate to him? And then the third question we're going to answer at the end is, how should you respond to God? And how do they respond to Paul's sermon? And was that the right way to respond to the sermon or the wrong way to respond? Okay, 
These are going to come up again, so just hold tight. Ready? So we're going to go, we're going to start talking about the first one. Can you know God? And look at, in your Bibles, chapter 17, verse 22. Everybody with me? Chapter 17, verse 22. So, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. So, Paul is in the city of Athens, but it says he went and stood in the middle of the Areopagus. Everybody say that. Areopagus. 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 Okay, y'all sound weird. I don't know why you keep saying this word over and over. That just sounds really funny, all right? Areopagus, it just means a hill. The hill of Ares. It's one of their gods that they worship. It was basically just kind of a, uh, a place where people would get together at the edge of the city, and they would just talk about stuff. All the people that were the philosophers and scholars, they would get together. And it actually says they just like to talk about new stuff. They didn't care if it was right or wrong. They just liked new things. Anybody who had something new to say was welcome to come and share. And so Paul was coming. He was preaching the gospel. That was something they hadn't heard before. And so they're like, hey, this is new. You should come and tell us. Well, by the time he's done sharing the gospel with them, they're not as excited to hear about it, right? So he's standing in the middle of the Areopagus, and he says, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. He says, I've walked around your town. I've seen all the things that you do. You are very religious. Well, it's funny, the, the way he says this, it technically is a nice way to say, oh, you're very religious, but the words he uses are actually kind of mean. Not mean in a bad way, but mean in a, hey, you're not actually worshiping a real God. He says they're worshiping demons and false gods. He says, oh, you're very religious, but you're worshiping things that aren't even God. And then he says, look at this, I was walking around, I was passing through, and I was examining the objects of your worship. So, have y'all, any of y'all ever been to a museum? Okay, and now I know y'all, and you're you're super smart. But normally, kids when they go into a museum, they go into the museum. Okay, can we go home now? Right, like museums kind of aren't aren't your thing, right? But what's your dad doing? He's over there. He's like reading every plaque, right? And it's like it's been an hour and a half, and we haven't left the room yet, right? Because he wasn't. And you know why your dad's smarter than you? Because he reads the plaques in the museums. That's why. So you need to start reading plaques in the museums, and you'll be good. But this is what Paul's doing. Paul says, I didn't just wander through and not pay attention. I was looking, I was actually studying what you guys are actually trying to worship. I was looking and considering these things, and then I got to one of your altars, and it said, written on it, what did it say? Who's the altar to? To an unknown God. Now, why do you think that they would have something like that? Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. They had so many gods, they weren't even keeping track of everybody. Oh, they wanted to worship something, but they didn't know what it was yet, so they put that on it, okay? Oh, that God might come down and get them. Yeah, I mean, that was the idea, right? They were worshiping all kinds of different gods, but they wanted to make sure that they got them all. They didn't want to accidentally miss a god, right? That would be a bummer if you have ten friends and you invite nine of them to come to your party and then you totally forget about one, right? So you just always send an extra text to some random number just in case. No, don't do that, okay? That's not the idea. They didn't want to miss a god, and so they built an extra altar just in case they didn't know about one god. And so they said, we're going to worship another god well which which other god well we don't know yet an unknown god will call us 
And he says, man, you're pretty religious. You're worshiping things you don't even understand. And then look at that. He says, what you worship in ignorance, you don't even know. It's the same kind of word. Have you guys ever heard the word agnostic? Anybody ever heard that? It's people that say, you know, we believe in Jesus, right? We believe the God of the Bible. Well, there's people that say they don't believe in God at all. They're called atheists. But then there's people kind of in the middle, and they're like, well, you just can't know if there's a God or not. We just don't know. And they're called agnostics. And they think they're super smart because, well, we're just, we're just leaving it open. We don't, we don't know. Well, the problem is we can know, right? Because Paul says, what you worship in ignorance, you think you're agnostic. You think you don't know if there's gods or not. And guess what? I'm proclaiming God to you. We can know that there is a God. So the question is, can you know God? The answer is yes. You can know God. That's the answer. And so Paul says, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to proclaim to you the real God, not this fake unknown God that you don't even know who it is. I'm going to proclaim to you the actual one true God. You know what's funny? Does it matter if we know God? Well, the answer is it does matter. Even Jesus said that. Remember in the, uh, when he was talking to the woman at the well? And he said, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is me. It's in Jesus. And you need to know me. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Some have no knowledge of God, and I speak it to your shame. If you're out here and you're saying, I don't really know a lot about God, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. You should know who God is. You should study your Bible so that you know more about who God is. And so Paul comes and he says, I'm going to preach to you this God that you say you don't know. I'm going to preach to you the real God who actually is. Okay? So now, the question is, what is God like? So that comes to our second question, what is God like? And I have 14 things that we're going to learn about who God is. So you're not going to be able to write all these down, maybe, but you're going to try, okay? So here we go. Number one, and by the way, I'm putting all these in, the, in a context of, like, your relationship with God, okay? So the first thing we're going to learn, what is God like? God made you, okay? God made you. Now listen to this. Listen to what he says. Verse 24 the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So what's that first thing we learned? God made you. Why? Because God made the world and all things in it. What did God make? Um, everything. Are you a thing? Yes, you are a thing. Therefore, you are one of the everythings. Therefore, God made you. God made you. He made every single thing. Paul, in Acts chapter 14, he said it this way who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. So does everyone in here live in either the heaven or the earth or the ocean? Perfect. Okay. God made you. He made everything that is in them. And uh, how do you know How do you know that it was God that made them? There's a verse that's like pretty early on. It's like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, that's God making everything. Okay. There's a lot of people out there in the world, a lot of people in your schools, a lot of people when you go to college someday, and they're going to tell you all kinds of other stories about how you got to be here. But you know how you got to be here? God made it. God made it. God made the world and everything in it. Okay? Number two, we learn God has authority over you. Look at verse 24. It says, the God who made the world and all things in it. What does it say after that? He is can you look at verse 24 with me? Since he is Lord of heaven. Lord of heaven and earth. Now, what's a word, another word for Lord that we could use here? Anybody know another word for Lord that might work? Master. 
owner, sovereign authority. God has authority over you. Why? Well, because He made you. He made everything. Therefore, He is in charge of everything. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Hey, guess what? You're like, man, I really want to decide what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, No, you decide what God wants you to do with your life. God decides because God is in charge, okay? Deuteronomy 10, verse 14, it says, God, to God, belongs heaven and the highest heavens and the earth and all that's in it. Psalm 24, 1, this is my favorite one. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And you're like, okay, well, God owns all the stuff. I get that. He owns the, the dirt and the trees and the fish, but not me. Well, Psalm 24, 1 says, he also owns the world and everyone who dwells in it. God owns all of us. God has authority over you. Okay? Number three, God is different than you. This is, this is interesting. Look at verse 24. It says, God, who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. You're like, well, I, I don't understand. What's that saying? Well, do you live in a house? A real house, a thing of walls and a floor and a roof. And, okay, that's where you live. God doesn't live in things that are man-made. Why not? Why does God not live in a box like we do? Because He's God. Well, flesh that out a little bit more. What's something about Him that makes Him not live in a box? Remember? Yeah, He's everywhere. God the Father. Does God the Father have a body like you and me? No, God is a spirit, right? That's why we have to worship Him spiritually, in spirit and in truth. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He, he is all, everywhere all the time. So does He live in a temple, in a little box that we can make with our hands? The answer is no. Sometimes He, he brings His glory there as a cloud so that we can see. But does God really live there and not anywhere else? No. God doesn't live in boxes like we do. It says He doesn't live in temples made with hands. God is different than us. He's bigger than us. He's, he's unique. Is there a word that we use that we say God is so, so set apart and different? What's that word? He's holy. <laughs> God is holy. He's, he's not like you. Do you understand? God is bigger and different than us. Even when Solomon built the temple, when Solomon built that huge, amazing temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, he prayed this. They built this whole temple for God to live in. Okay? You get this? They built this massive temple for God to live in. And then he stands in front of this thing they built for God to live in, and he prays, God, will God really dwell on the earth? Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I built. He knew, even when he built the temple, that God wouldn't fit there. Okay? God is holy. He is bigger than us. He is different than us. All right? Number four, we learn that God doesn't need you. Okay? Look at verse 25. It says, He's not served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He is not served by human hands. Now, Miss Betty back there is a nurse. I used to be a nurse, right? And our job is to what? Take care of people. Okay? The word here where it says he is not served by human hands, the idea of a nurse taking care of somebody, okay? caring for them while they're sick and getting them better. Uh, God doesn't need you to help him. Okay? God doesn't need you to take care of him. He doesn't need you to bring him food and nurse him back to health. Why? Because he has everything. He owns everything. God doesn't need you, but actually you need God. So number five, God provides everything that you have. Look at verse 25. 
He's not served by human hands as though He needed anything. He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you all things. Why does God not need you? Because you need God. (laughs) He gives us everything. All right, I'm going to read some verses about this so you can write down the references if you want, okay? Psalms 50, verses 10, 11, and 12. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, says God. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountain. Everything that moves in the field is mine. And if I were hungry, this is God talking, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. God says, if I was hungry, you know who I'm not going to ask to help me? Is you people who I made, who you are get hungry. He says, I own everything in the world. If I was hungry, I would just make myself something to eat, even though I don't get hungry. I don't need you, okay? And then, look at these. It says he gives uh, to all people life and breath. That's kind of an interesting thing to say, right? Well, remember back in Genesis chapter 2, when God made the first man and his name was Adam. And it says, God formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nose the breath of life. When God breathes life into something, it comes alive. And Job 33, 4 tells us that if God doesn't breathe life into something, it's not alive. Okay? The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The only way you can be alive... All right, think about this for a second. How many of you are breathing? Most of you. All right, good. All right, but you're breathing with with nice minted breath because you're not going to breathe on people without brushing your teeth, right? Okay, but you're breathing. Why? Scientists would tell you it's your autonomic nervous system. But you know the real reason why you're breathing? Because God wants you to be breathing, right? God gives life. He started your life. He gives breath. Every single breath you take, you know where it comes from? God gives it to you. You know why you're not dead in your chair right now? Because God wants you to keep breathing. That's the answer. God gives to all men life and breath. And then it says He gives us all things. First Chronicles 29, when they, were, when they were praising God and they were bringing gifts to Him in the temple, <laughs> they, they said, Oh God, all this abundance that we've brought, it's yours. Even when you bring and give God something, you come and you, you bring money to church to put in the offering or, or you give of your time to help someone, are you even giving God something He doesn't have? The answer is no. God has given you everything. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father. And this is interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know, I think we all understand, you all are big enough to know that there are some families that have more money than others and, and some families are really rich and some families are really poor and there's some that are in the middle and, and God has given different things to different people, right? That's just how the world works. That's what God's designed for it to do. But you know what's interesting is even for the people that God gives a lot to, that God really blesses and gives lots of money and possessions, First Timothy 6.17, he says, Instruct those who are rich not to be conceited or to fix their hope on riches, so you can't trust in your wealth, even if you're wealthy, but rather trust in God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. If you're poor, who gave you what little you have? God did. If you're rich, who gave you a lot that you have? God did. It's not you. You can't take credit and trust in your own gain because you have a lot. Rather, we trust in God who gives everyone and who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Paul says, 
God is the one who gives us life and breath and all things. So here's an application for us to think through. Ready? Does God need you? No. Do you need God for everything, every second of every day? Here's an application. You should thank God for all the things you have. You should thank God for being alive, for breathing and having a heartbeat. You should thank God for your clothes and for your house and for your family and for food and for everything that you have. Why? Because it came from God. God gives us everything. God has provided every single thing that you have. Okay? All right, number six, letter F. There's three that kind of go together here in verse 26. This is kind of fun, okay? Look at verse 26. Y'all read with me. It says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. Okay? Let's work through that. So, letter F, God made you exactly who you are. Okay? Read that with me. He made from one man, who is the one man? Adam. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So, where did we all come from ancestrally? Adam. Okay? It started with one man and one woman, and uh, we're all here now, and so we all came from one man and one woman. God made from one man every single person that has ever lived on the face of the planet. First of all, isn't that just crazy? Isn't that just mind-boggling? Like, we are all cousins, sort of. No, that's super weird. Don't say that, okay? Don't, don't go there. But we all have a common ancestor because God made one man. Now, let's think through what that means. There's a lot of people that talk about race. There's your race and my race. How many races are there technically if God made from one man every nation? There is one. <laughs> there is one race. Now, there's another thing called ethnicity, where kind of the place you grew up, where your family's from, you have different skin and you have different things. Okay, whatever. But when we talk about race, there's technically only one race because we all came from Adam. Now, wait a second. Genesis chapter 1, you guys were talking about this, right? God made them male and female. He made them both in whose image? In God's image. And he made Adam and Eve in God's image, and all their descendants were in God's image. So that means, wait a second, no matter what you look like, every single one of us is all made in God's image, okay? Now, there are some people out there, and maybe even in your heart you need to work at, that have a sin of racism. Well, we don't call it racism. Actually, the Bible calls it partiality. You give people that look like you the benefit of the doubt, and the people that don't look like you, you don't like them. Why? Because they don't look like you. That's wrong. That's sin. Why? Because we are all made in the image of God, and we're all from the same person. We're all in the same family. We're all made through Adam. God made us exactly who we are. Now, the other thing that's interesting about this is some of you, you're in middle school, high school, you don't like who you are. You don't like being short or tall or fat or skinny or I don't like the way my hair is and I don't like how big my ears are. And I don't know. It doesn't matter. Why? You know who made you? God made you. God made you exactly who you are. And by the way, this is who you are. You don't really get to change a whole lot. You might grow a little bit or something. That's great. But God made you who you are, and you need to be thankful that God made you who you are. Now, there's two more in the same verse that kind of go along with that. So the next one, letter G, not only did God make you exactly who you are, but God made you exactly when you are. And you're like, that sounds weird. But God knows exactly when you were born. 
Okay? It says he put them there having determined their appointed time. Okay? God knows exactly the day that you were born. God knows exactly the day that you will die. God knows every birthday that's going to come along. God knows every second of every day. He has an appointed time for you to be here. Okay? You're like, well, man, I, I've listened to some of my dad's music, and I really think I should have been born in the 70s. It's like, no, you shouldn't, because God made you now. Like, well, this is dumb, and I think we should have spaceships and stuff, and so I think I should be born like 100 years from now. The answer is no. God made you when you are, right now. You know why you are here right now? Is because God wanted you here right now. God made who you are, and God made you when you are. And then number three in this section, uh, letter H, God also made you where you are. Because it says God determined their appointed times, and he determined the boundaries of their habitation, or the boundaries of their living. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to read you this verse with kind of the original translation, okay? Listen to who's making these decisions, okay? It says, God determined the determined times and the determined place of their living place. Who do you think decided or determined these things? It was God. God made you who you are, God made you when you are, and God made you where you are. You're like, oh, I just wish we could live like one of those mountains. I just wish I could live in New York City. That's so cool. God made you where you are. You are here in the family that you're living in, at the time you're living in, in the home you're living in. Why? Because God made that for you. You need to learn to be content and thankful at where God has made you and trust that God doesn't make mistakes. So, God is the one who's made everything. He's made you. He's the creator of everything. He owns. He's the master, the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't need you, but you need him for everything. He made you exactly who you are, when you are, where you are. He wants you right here. And so we need to learn to be thankful. We need to know that God has put us exactly where we are. The other thing that's interesting, remember how uh, in this verse it says, He made from one man every nation of mankind on the whole face of the earth. Now we're just talking about us right now. But this also means that God's the God of everybody? Yeah. And that's the point Paul's trying to make. He's trying to tell these people, the God I'm telling you about is not just one another one of your little gods that has a little area that he's over. Okay? This isn't the God of Roanoke. This isn't the God of Fort Worth. This isn't the God of North Lake. Okay? This is the God. This is the God of the universe. This is the God of everyone. One of the commentaries says, The God whom Paul proclaimed was not some local Jewish cult God. He was one sovereign Lord for all humankind. So here's the deal. When you, as you mature in your faith and you, you're evangelizing, you're sharing the gospel with other people at school and your friends and your cousins and whatever, and you're telling people about this God, they're going to be like, no, no, well, that's, that's an okay God for you to have, but that's not the God that I want to have. And the answer is, you don't get to decide. This is God. There's only one true God. This is God over the whole world. This is the God who made us exactly who we are, when we are, where we are. And then, letter I, why were we made? Why did God make us in the first place? Look at verse 27. He made us, he made all people, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He made us to seek God. You were made to seek after God. Your purpose in this life is to find and have a good relationship with God. Okay? If anybody ever asks you, hey, hey, wh why are we here? It's to have a good relationship with God. It's to seek after and follow after God. 
And then it says, look, if maybe, if perhaps they would grope for him and find him. Have you guys ever tried to walk in your room and it's like pitch black, no lights on, and you're trying to find the, the light switch and you're like, and then it turns out the light switch is like here and you just walk past it, right? And then you find it and find it and you find it. And then the light comes on and then you can walk around and you don't have to feel stuff. That whole, that, that groping around, blind, that's what we're like before Christ. Before God opens up your eyes to see the beauty and glory of who Jesus is, you know what you're like? You're like a blind person in the dark wandering around trying to find something. And you know what's going to happen? You're never going to find it. How are you going to find something that you can't see? Well, you need your eyes open first, right? Your job in this life is to find God. You're like, well, wait a second. I can't. You just told me I can't. I'm blind. Exactly. You need God to find you first. Now, in John 6.44, it says, No one can come to me. This is Jesus saying, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay? So let's be real clear. Are you ever going to find God on your own? And the answer is, no, you're not. You know how you're going to find God? When God the Father says, that's the one I want. And he pulls you to. And he draws you close. Kind of like if you're blind and you're wandering around and someone else walks in and turns the light on for you. Okay? God's going to open up your eyes. He's going to draw you to him. But, and here's the key. In Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You say, well, I, I can't do that. I can't seek God until he draws me. That's an excuse you're making. Because at the moment that you decide that you are going to seek after God and you want Him to open your eyes, guess what? That's God putting that into you. And God is drawing you through that. So there's none of this, well, I'm just waiting until God elects me. Wait until God chooses me. I, I would believe in Jesus, but I've I got to wait for God to draw me in. No. Seek Him while He can be found. And call on Him while He is near. You know why? Because He won't always be near. There's coming a time when God is not going to be open for offers anymore. God's not going to be drawing people to himself anymore. He's going to be done, and he's going to set up his kingdom forever. And if you're not in at that point, you're done. Call on him while he is near. And that's the next thing that we're going to learn. Uh, letter J. I would call on God, but he's so far away. He's so, he's so big. He's so distant. And the answer is no. God is right here. God is near to you. God is near to you. Verse 7 says, They would seek God if perhaps they would grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. You know, sometimes in our lives, we feel really far from God. and We feel like God is not listening to us. Well, you know what's interesting? <laughs> that's not God's fault. That's ours. That's because we are not making the effort to, to be in communion with God and praying to Him and studying His Word. It says God is always near. He's right here next to us. He is not far from you. And in fact, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a real Christian, you know how far away God is from you? One call away. It says, call on Him while He is near. He's not far from you. You just cry to Him and say, God, I need you. I need you to save me. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. Letter K. The next thing we learn is that God must be worshipped correctly. All right, now before you write that down, I want you to look at your Bible because I don't want you to see this. Look at verse 28. Paul's still talking and he says, For in God, in Him, we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are His children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. 
what Paul is saying here is you, you have your own poets, your own scholars, your own philosophers, and they say things that sound good. Uh, some of these, these poets from, from Athens, from Greece, they, they would say things like, oh, in God, of course they were talking about Zeus, who's, who's not a real God. They were talking about Zeus, and they would say, oh, in Zeus we live and move and exist. He's the one who gives us life. And then they would say things like, we are all Zeus's children. And Paul's looking at him, and, and he says, you know, you're not as wrong as you could be, but you're kind of wrong. Because we're not talking about Zeus, we're talking about the real God, but in the real God, we do live and move and exist. And in the real God, we are all God's children. Now, we're not all God's children in the sense that, you know, Jesus says that you could be his child if he, if he calls you and draws you to him. We're not all God's children that we're all going to heaven, but we are all God's children in the sense that God made all of us and that we're all born from Adam, right? So in that sense, we're all God's children. So Paul says, you're, you're kind of right, but mostly you're not. We are all God's children. And, but then he uses their own argument against them. He says, hey, you, you say that you're all Zeus's children, you're all God's children, but then you worship something that's not actually Zeus. You worship like a, a little idol. Why are you doing that? Why would you worship something that you say is really God, even though it's just silver and gold? That doesn't make sense at all. And so for us, look at verse 29. He says, being the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Why would you worship something that you made with your own hands and pretend like it's God when you know it's not God because you made it with your own hands? Why would you do that? And you're all like, yeah, those people are dumb. Why would they worship idols? Um, yeah, you worship stuff you make all the time. You're like, oh, man, this high score. Look at me. I'm awesome. No, you're not. You're worshiping something that you made, and then you're pretending like it's important. It's not. You know what's important? Something that's bigger than you. God himself. He is the one who we are his children. He's the one who gives breath to all mankind. And therefore, we better learn how to worship him correctly. Okay? We can't worship him like we're worshiping, worshiping these idols. Write down, you can look at this later in your small groups if you want. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 to 17. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 to 17. That is an awesome passage that makes idols seem really, I don't think I'm allowed to use this word here, stupid, okay? Idols look absolutely foolish and ridiculous in Isaiah 44, okay? Isaiah 44, 12 to 17. You can look at that later. All right, our next one, letter L. What's the next thing that we learn about God and who He is and what He's done? Well, look in verse 30. Paul is starting to wrap up here, and he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. So, letter L, God calls you to repent. God calls you to repent. Somebody tell me what repenting means. Go for it. Yeah, turn from the sin that you're doing and go do the opposite. Go do the righteous thing, okay? So look in verse 30. Who says that we should repent? God does. Who does God say should repent? Us, and even more than that, everybody. And uh, you sure? All people in Texas is what it says, right? All people where? Everywhere. <laughs> you know who needs to repent of their sin? Every single person that has ever lived on the face of this earth, minus Jesus. Okay? All people everywhere need to repent. God calls us to repent 
of our sins. You know why? Because we're ignorant. <laughs> 1 Peter 1.14, Don't be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. God is kind that He's not going to hold those sins against you if you will come and repent of your sins. He's passed over the time of your ignorance, and in His forbearance, He's passed over the sins previously committed, Romans 3.25, and now He offers you to repent. And He declares that you must. Luke 24, Why should we repent? Christ suffered and rose again from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins. Why do we need to repent? Because you've done something wrong. You've sinned against God, and you need God to forgive you for that. And God says, I will forgive you when you repent of your sins. We need repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And one commentary said, this is the kind of command that no one can afford to ignore. You understand that? That if you ignore this and say, I don't really want to deal with this right now. I don't want to think about Jesus and, and the gospel and, and sin and all that. I don't, I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. You can't afford to do that. <laughs> because eventually it's going to turn into eternal destruction if you wait too long. Alright, letter M. Last couple things. God will judge your sin. Acts 17, verse 31. Why do we need to repent? Because God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. You know why you need to repent of your sin? Because someday the consequences of your sin are going to catch up to you. Because someday God is going to put every single person in the entire world that's ever existed on the stand and say, what'd you do? What'd you do about your sin? You sinned against me, that's clear. Everybody knows that. What'd you do about it? You try and work it out yourself? You try and, try and make it all good? Or did you come to me and repent and ask for forgiveness? Well, all those people that ask for forgiveness from God, well, they're saved. They're, they'll be put aside and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You actually served me. You did what I said. And you know all of you that rejected God and said, I don't want to deal with that right now? You're going to come before God and say, I have no excuse. And then it's eternal lake of fire. Eternal destruction. Psalm 89.9, or Psalm 98.9, before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And just so you know, you're like, okay, well, I'm a Christian now, so I don't actually have to worry about being judged, so I can do whatever I want, right? Let the grace of God abound on me. Well, first of all, Paul says, no, don't do that. But also, think about this. You're going to stand before a judgment seat when you get to the end, too. Now, you're not going to be judged on whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's already decided because you're a Christian. But you are going to be judged with how you live your life. In fact, Matthew 12, 36, this is the kind of thing God's going to care about. You ready? I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an account for in the day of judgment. You know what God is going to care about when you get to the judgment seat? Even his people. He's going to reward you for the good things and punish you for the bad things. What? what, what he's going to take away those rewards, right? What, what is that? So even the things like your words and your thoughts and the things that you did that people might not even know. The careless word you speak, we're going to give an account for in the day of judgment. We need to be careful because God will judge our sin. But this is the best part. This is our last point. God appointed a Savior for you. He says, God will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Who is this man whom God chose who resurrected from the dead? Does he have a name? Jesus. Good job, people. Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. Romans 1.4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And Acts 10.43 says that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You know why this is good news, that God appointed a Savior for you? Uh, because 
He called you to repent, and if you don't, He's going to judge your sin. But even though you are a sinner, if you repent, God has made a Savior for you. He appointed this man to be the Savior of the world. Even Matthew 121, when the baby was born, we just had Christmas, right? When the baby was born, what did they name him? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That was his mission. That was the whole point. He came. And now God says, not only did he live this perfect life, he died the death that you should have died on the cross. He was buried, and I raised him from the dead by the power of God so that I would tell everyone, this is the Savior you should trust in. So, let's come down to our third question we need to answer. And that is, how should you respond to God? How should you respond to God? Now, let's look at the, the text here real quick. And let's look at our last couple verses because this shows how people responded. Okay? Verse 32 says, when Paul is done with his sermon, says, when they heard of this resurrection from the dead, some began to sneer. What's that look like? Come on. Yeah. Angry, right? Some began to sneer, but others said, we will hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. And then verse 34, But some men joined him and believed, and among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Okay? So we see three responses here. So let's work through these real quick. And just so you see, these are your options. I've just shared the gospel with you over and over again. So these are your options for how to respond to God. This is your relationship with God we're talking about. And you can choose one of these, which one you're going to do. Okay? So the first one, letter A is the foolish people reject God, okay? It says when he started talking about Jesus being raised from the dead, it says some began to sneer. They were mocking him. They were angry at him. They were like, this is ridiculous. This is junk. Get out of here with that. That doesn't make sense at all. Why? Well, they didn't believe in resurrection from the dead. Uh, just so you know, you kind of have to believe in miracles to be a Christian. That's kind of important because Jesus raised from the dead, okay? And they were saying, Get, we don't believe in that. Stop that. And they were angry. They sneered at him and mocked him. Just so you know, some of you, that's probably what you're like in your heart. You're probably sitting here listening to me talk about these things. You're like, golly, this guy sucks. That's a foolish person. A foolish person who rejects the right relationship with God. Okay? But there was another option. And that, at the end of verse 32, <coughs> he says, some people said, we'll hear you again. Well, what are we going to call those people? Well, we're going to call those people the selfish people. <laughs> okay? The selfish people wait on God. All right? And you're sitting there saying, hey, man, I, I don't think this is bad stuff. I think what you're saying is probably right. Let's talk again next week. I'll hear you again. Maybe if you preach another sermon, maybe I'll listen then. Maybe, maybe next time Hondo shares the gospel, then I'll listen. Maybe next time Pastor Dusty shares the gospel, then I'll listen. Well, you know what that is? That's you pretending that you're in charge of your life and that you get to decide when things happen. And the answer is you don't. You don't get to decide when anything happens, and we could all die right now or the Lord could come back. And you wouldn't get the chance. You wouldn't get the next time. You understand? You see, that's being selfish. That's saying, I want to decide when things happen in my life. And God says, you don't decide anything. I'm the Lord of heaven and earth. I'm the one who made you who you are, when you are, where you are. Why are you pretending like you get a choice? See, selfish people are the ones who are saying, you know, we'll come, we'll come back and hear you again. Now, am I thankful they came back and here again instead of just mocking and rejecting God? Well, sure. I'm glad you guys came on this winter camp and instead of, you know, or avoiding it from last winter camp, but the reality is I'd rather you just be saved right now. And so we get to our third one. Let us see. The wise ones have faith in God. He says some people, they joined him and believed. And now it's interesting. These two people that are mentioned here, we don't know who they are. They're never mentioned again in Scripture. We don't know who they are. But you know what? We'll see them in heaven. <laughs> we'll meet them someday. 
And the, the guy, Dionysius, it says he's an Areopagite. He's one of these scholar guys, these philosophers that was there saying, oh, tell us something new and interesting. And he didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And then when Paul spoke the gospel to him and said, you need to repent of your sins because God has appointed a time for judgment through a man who's, he's appointed to be the Savior of the world, <coughs> who's confirmed by the resurrection from the dead, this guy actually said, I need that guy. I need that Savior from my sin. And so he repented, and it says he joined Paul, and he believed. He believed in God. And you know what? That's the only right response for us. That's it. You need to come before God humbly and say, I need a Savior for my sin, because this God who's given me everything, and I should thank Him for everything, He has a standard for me, and I'm not meeting it. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. So the last, last quote I'm going to read to you. Listen to this really closely, okay? The thrust of Paul's message is clear. The Creator God who has revealed Himself in creation has commanded all to repent, for everyone must give an account to Jesus Christ, whom God raised Him from the dead. So you can be a fool, and you can reject the Gospel and walk away from God. You can be really selfish and say, you know what, I'll deal with this later. Or you can actually be wise, and you can come and believe in the God who made you. Alright? You need to have a relationship with God. Actually, my seminary professor, he would say, everyone has a relationship with God. It's either really good or really bad. You need to have a good relationship with God. And that's the roots of the tree. You want a successful life in this world? Starts with having a good relationship with God. That's it. Alright? Let's pray. God, you are really kind and gracious to share the gospel with us through your word so clearly. God, we are, are thankful for the things that you've told us here, that you are the God who's in charge of everything, that, that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. And God, I pray for the students, for the leaders, for myself, for this trip, that you would use this time for us to be really, really clear on where we are with you, that we would submit to you, that if we are Christians, we would learn to obey you and love you, that if we are not, that we would repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead. Thank you for this in your name. Amen.